0: All right, here we are back with another episode. And uh Zach, you want to introduce yourself to everybody? yeah hello everybody
1: i am zach pfeiffer and i started sovereign awesome yeah
0: Yeah. so (laughs) so we're kicking off i want to highlight some small businesses this summer just because uh i don't know i feel like you guys don't get enough recognition and uh and you go to any terrain park i was just at killington yesterday and everyone is on this new I'm, I'm reluctant to say new wave, but everyone, you know, there's definitely a new style out there. So I want to kind of meet the guys behind it and um, you're definitely pioneering some of it. So we'll, so we'll learn a little bit more about you. And we'll learn a little bit more about uh, the company. Sounds good. So yeah. let's start yeah. off with, uh, with who Zach is, where are you from originally and uh, how did we get here? Yeah.
1: Um, well, i grew up in northern california in this town called mount shasta it's a super small town i think the population is like 3500 might be a little bit more and that fluctuates in the summer with like busier tourism months and all that but uh yeah small town and like small community of honestly shredders uh in shasta just not many park skiers so Growing up here in the park scene was kind of tough in some respects. In others, it was kind of cool because it allowed for me and my friends to kind of like just do what we wanted without uh, without any like influences really shifting our views or making us uh, maybe be like into things that we wouldn't originally be into. Um. But yeah, grew up in Mount Shasta. I'm still here now. Um, but I can get into why a little bit later. But yeah, that's pretty much me—just a NorCal kid who
0: decided to start a business a few years
1: ago. Sweet. So were you
0: were you always a skier, or did you ever uh, delve into the team sports realm? Um, (laughs) my parents made me play like soccer when I was growing
1: up but I never really vibed with team sports for some reason I don't know why I think it was like partially being on a team and I didn't like the responsibility of like oh shit the ball was kicked to me people are like waiting on me to kick that ball to them or score or do some of that shit so that just, like, brought an un- unwanted anxiety, I'd say. And yeah. I got out of team sports as soon as I could. And then, I mean, I did, like, race team in high school, but that's a pretty independent sport still, honestly.
0: Yeah. I think that yeah. anyone who, uh, who takes it upon themselves to start their own business is kind of – has an individualist mindset and kind of likes to yeah. be responsible for themselves. So I figured I'd ask because that's what I suspected. Yeah, I would, I would honestly agree. <laughs> so um the only timeline i have for you is like 2017 when the company started um mm-hmm. but what, what was leading up to that did you have an interest in fashion when you were younger like what was what was kind of your teenage years like and uh you know those transitionary yeah. years um i was definitely into fashion well i didn't really know anything
1: about fashion but i know i liked it um, and I honestly still don't know shit about fashion, but, uh, I dated this girl back in high school who she was like, just one of those like Tumblr indie girls, Doc Martens and the chokers and listens to all the indie music. And so back in high school, I definitely liked like an alternative style. I liked, uh, I liked wearing like the tightest pants I could and maybe like a big tall tee on top of those pants, just mixing it up, like kind of being different, kind of being weird, crazy hairstyles and all that. But I didn't really have an outlet for it. I wasn't really making clothes. I wasn't, I don't know. It was just, it was just like a hobby type of thing. I never really thought it was going to go anywhere. Um, until after high school, I, uh, I ended up moving to Tahoe right out of high school right in 2017 and my friend and I actually we just weren't really vibing with working full-time at ski resorts so we started making just the most rough clothes like we would take a pair of pants we got at a thrift store and then we would use shoe goo to glue on patches to the knees or like put a little heart here like whatever and uh our friends supported it and our friends like wanted to wear that shit and so we were were like whoa we could actually do this we had some shirts manufactured and that was called lovely co and it was honestly really fun for that year or so that we did it and uh I, I wanted to keep doing it with him, but he ended up moving back home to do some schooling. I ended up moving out to Utah and we just weren't able to do it with each with each other anymore. So um I took it upon myself to start my own thing, and that's when Sovereign started. Was uh I think it was like at the beginning of twenty eighteen or so, maybe end of twenty seventeen is when I fully decided to take off on my own and like not do the whole lovely co thing anymore try and get a little bit more legit find out more tech like really start sewing shit and um yeah so i wouldn't say i had any any real um hand in like the fashion side of things back in high school but i was definitely into clothes and like
0: alternative styles Mm -hmm. yeah and just quickly on that point so, what was your, uh, what were your peers thinking of your, uh, of your different styles when you were in high school? Because I, oh, I can remember what we would say was... if if somebody was wearing something outlandish in high yeah, school. Yeah, people thought
1: it was crazy. Like people thought I was, uh, I don't know, tons of mean names and all this shit. But I was friends with everyone in high school, so. It wasn't like they were like making fun of me. I mean, they low key were, but I knew they were my homies. And like, I didn't really ever have like beef in high school or anything with like that. So uh, it was always chill, but they definitely thought I was kind of weird, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I think people now are like, oh, it makes sense that he was weird. He is still weird. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: I weird mean, just I mean, just putting it bluntly you know like fashion something that women are usually concerned with like have you ever felt apprehensive delving into the world of fashion since it's typically typically viewed as like a feminine thing i mean now now it's definitely starting to shift for sure but i think you know five oh
1: for sure and people would like i don't i don't want to like go into this and say anything offensive um because i'm pretty sure I'm not PC at all but I'm just gonna tell it how it is but uh people would always like say I was like gay or whatever for being into clothes which nothing wrong with that at all but I had like a girlfriend I'd like be walking down the high school like the hallway with my girlfriend and people would be like oh just say some dumb shit and it was just kind of funny because I was like yeah okay Mr. Jockey football player dude uh where's your chick (laughs) I mean I don't know that's mostly like a joke no one really ever made too much fun of me or at least it never really stuck but um yeah for a while I don't think I was ever apprehensive about getting into it because I grew up liking what I liked and it's always been kind of like an alternative thing to most people so that was nothing new um I would say the hardest thing getting into it was just figuring out how to make clothes, like how to really figure out like construction, good materials, like all that is usually the biggest concern to anyone getting into stuff is like, oh fuck, where do I start? Like what is good with this? What materials do I want to use for what I'm making? Where do I find those materials? It's like, it's a pretty big I don't know endeavor to get into the iceberg is big under the surface and you see that once you start diving in um so I'd say that was probably one of my biggest first like roadblocks was just figuring everything out
0: mm-hmm.
1: instead of just starting it like I was never really like oh what are people gonna think if I do this or this because my whole life people have been kind of like what the fuck are you on but I kind of like it honestly I like being different
0: yeah um, so yeah. you said, so if I remember correctly, you moved to Utah mm-hmm. and uh, so that's where you started launching and I just want to get my pronunciation correct. Sovereign? Yeah. Sovereign. All right. So that's where yeah. you launched. No like, sovereign.
1: special, no special uh, accent or anything. People say like, oh, is it sovereign? Sovereign? Like, no, it's
0: sovereign. Like a white dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. Tell us about that. It. it I mean, you could either start with the name origin, or you can just start out with, uh, with the, like the um, what is it like the growing pains of starting a new company. However, you want to kind of represent it. Word. Um.
1: Well, I'll just rip the bandaid off and just explain where the name came from. But and every like my friends say, oh, it's so cool, but I'm a little bit embarrassed of it. But I'm just gonna spill the beans. I was taking a lot of, um, like lsd and mushrooms in 2017 i'd say when i came back from tahoe i was just like on this like psycho not trip and loved it for some reason i don't know what it was uh but i got this great idea one day i was like you know what fuck work fuck the government fuck how the world is run like Honestly, getting into like all these conspiracy theories and just like honestly depressing shit that's like if anyone pays too much attention to it it's gonna bring them down but it inspired me it was like wait if i just like made a bunch of money i could eventually like own a compound or own like a a huge plot of land and essentially create like a sovereign nation and So that just uh, that kind of just inspired me to start a business to make that money. Um, And that that goal has technically changed over the last few years and especially with other stuff that's happened in my life. Like that's not the goal, but the goal of like creating a place where me and my friends can make what we want to make and kind of live lives without the restrictions of real life um that still applies and I still want to do that one day and I love like I love doing it for the homies and just like making the homies I don't know make money off my shit or they can help me out and they can like do collabs with me get recognition like whatever it's all about like the homies like the community that you are around and that's kind of like the biggest thing for me is I just want to like have fun with my friends and however I'm gonna like make the money to do that is how i'm gonna do it and sob right now is how that's happening Mm -hmm. um but yeah back to where it came from sovereign nation um and then i just changed the spelling because i wanted it to be six letters and yeah i didn't i honestly it's not the most original name i guess it's original from my brain but there are like a few other brands called sovereign that people have brought to my attention after i did it so i'm like i'm just gonna run with it until someone sues me but <laughs> i don't know
0: well it's funny there's also like a cryptocurrency with the same name i think it's what comes up first when you google the company No way,
1: really <laughs> yeah. i don't saying. know if it's
0: a cryptocurrency it could be like some blockchain service but when i was looking you up uh yeah decentralized finance powered by bitcoin sovereign wait how's it spelled S-O-V-R-Y-N. Okay, R Y N. They did they did transpose those letters, yeah.
1: Yeah. There's also a skateboard company based in like LA or something called mm-hmm. Sovereign, but I think it's spelled a little bit differently as well.
0: So at first did you did you think that the the clothing would help you realize, like selling clothing would help you finance a, uh, a compound where you could escape the government? Or did you think, oh damn, this is going to take a little bit more than selling clothes <laughs> to raise that much money?
1: Well, like I said, I was taking a lot of substances back then. So I didn't really <laughs> think about the actual, like what was would really go into making that happen. It was more just like the dream and I started working at it. So now being let's say, yeah, like, four years later, uh, I'm a little bit smarter, a little bit more evolved, a lot of things have had, like, made me have to grow up, and, uh, I've realized that that's not really too realistic anymore, but I can still, like, I don't know, I can make a shit ton of money and then buy some land one day and have a fucking mini bike track in the back with a pool and a bunch of go-karts and like all this rad shit for all my homies to play with so i guess that's still the goal i just want to keep life fun
0: definitely that's,
1: that's about it yeah
0: yeah so you said that learning the actual construction of clothing was difficult so uh how did you even start you know what machine you know what equipment did you have to buy did you learn through youtube how did you kind of delve right into it yeah um well that that summer when my buddy and I we like when lovely code
1: essentially fizzled out um actually I don't want to say fizzled out it's still an entity and if my buddy wanted to bring it back he totally could but um when i stopped doing lovely co i pretty much came home for a few months back to shasta from tahoe and i was just my dad was kind of stoked on what i was doing with my buddy chan with lovely co and um, he actually had an old sewing machine that he gifted me that I think was my grandma's his mom um and so he kind of showed me like the most basics like here this is how you zigzag this is stitch length this is to go backwards to lock in your stitches and that was like the extent of his sewing knowledge he didn't He, I mean, I was blessed to have him to even give me the sewing machine, but it wasn't like he was showing me how to sew. It was more just like, here's a machine, figure it out. Um, So yeah, I would just watch YouTube videos. And that was just to get the basics. But a lot of it has just been sewing and sewing and sewing and sewing. And like, I've put in fucking so many hours on the sewing machine that it's like like shit's just second nature at this point there's definitely a lot of tech I don't know how to do but the tech that I have learned and that I've done I've done it hundreds of times so I'd say it's just all practice like practice makes perfect that's like the most real saying ever um but yeah pretty much just practicing and then upgrading as i needed to machine wise i went from uh i went from like the first one was like an all metal kenmore from back in the day probably like an 80s machine 90s machine and then after that ended up getting into the singer heavy duties which is just like i'm looking at one right now but it's actually just like a fully plastic bodied machine which isn't the best they're called heavy duties they sew pretty well but they're not the best um if you're really really just starting it's a good machine to use but they break the best thing about them is the warranty at walmart <laughs> but uh then after using that for like two years i just didn't for some reason it was hard for me to invest in my company at first it was like oh but am i gonna make the money back do i want to spend this on this or do i want to go skiing for a week like fuck, what's what's gonna be good After about a few years, about, or after like two years of doing that, I finally invested in an industrial sewing machine, big old Juki. Um, This one's built in the eighties as well, but it's like, it's going to outlast me. It's probably going to be sewing when I'm dead. Um, And that was the best move I ever made. It's made my life so much easier. It's like anyone into sewing that's listening to this, get yourself an industrial. It's like all you need: industrial straight stitch and a serger, and you can make anything in the world.
0: And how much? And how much does something like that cost? Because you know, sometimes in starting a business, you really got to put—you kind of got to just put it all on the line and say, "Yep, this will this will come back someday."
1: Yeah, Um, my industrial was seven hundred, and then I had to invest another three hundred, probably like a month after I got it to um, put a servo or just replace the servo motor that came on it. But my friends have gotten them for 500 with a brand new motor. Like it's, it's like a sliding scale of probably 400 to a thousand dollars for a used one. And then if you want to go new, it's going to be probably 12 to two grand or so. Um, but it's worth it. And if you're really making stuff, it'll pay itself off. Everything mm-hmm. does. Um, but like I was, I was talking about the, uh, the singer heavy duty which is honestly a pretty capable machine um those are only like it's like 150 bucks under 200 at walmart and they get you into it they can sew most shit some people can sew leather with them if they have the right thread and needles and stuff but yeah yeah i'd i'd say if you
0: if you have a thousand dollars you can start a company for sure Mm -hmm. and so i i know absolutely nothing about sewing Or this entire world um so the industrial like is there any point where there's you know a computer is doing a lot of the legwork for you and you're just guiding it or is it always a hands-on process um so my machine
1: does not have a computer in it whatsoever i think some of the newer jukies do and i'm not sure what they do on them honestly but Mine is just this big metal block with gears in it. You can spin some dials and change some settings, but it's really just ran by a motor that spins this huge thing that drives the needle. Um, so simple, super simple, and you just use different um foot attachments and like I've got guides and bias tape feet and all this, like all these crazy little uh unique tools that help me do what I do, but it's mostly all hands on you gotta have it's pretty crazy i use both my feet my right knee and both hands all the time Jeez. like the machine is super uh super involved okay so apart from that uh emmet from vishnu actually gave me the old um embroidery machine that he used to use a few years ago he gave it to me when i was living in salt lake so that was 2018 so I had it for a while. He used it for a while. Now it's broken. But that thing was pretty uh, – that one was totally computerized. You would just put in your design, and then it would just, like, rip it out in five, ten minutes. It's kind of crazy.
0: I don't know if you've ever seen an
1: embroidery
0: machine run, but it's insane. I think I've seen, like – I think maybe that's what I was imagining when I was asking yeah. about, like, the computerized. Yeah. So I've, I've seen that online, videos of that. Okay
1: yeah so that's mostly just for like art or decorative stuff or just like throwing designs on something um so that's not really like sewing any anything structural i'm pretty sure everything that you see sewn is made on an industrial machine in china or in pakistan or wherever Um, and that's like that's honestly one of the biggest things for me getting into clothes that i've realized is that everything is technically quote unquote handmade it's just one stitch is being done by one person 400 times a day and then another stitch is being done by another person another 400 times a day so it's like totally it's just like a process it's like not it's not one person sitting down and making one jacket in a factory at a time as it is at like higher end uh like high fashion houses but it's still all being handmade. You can still find like imperfections on anything you might buy at a store. There's always that like human aspect of stuff.
0: But yeah, that is, that is an interesting point that it's, it's never not made by a person. So at the beginning, obviously you had a very lofty dream and uh, (laughs) it's easy, you know, sitting in your room thinking, Oh, you know what, this would be sick. And then actually putting it into action is something completely different. So, even though you already had a little bit experience making clothes once you started getting running, did you have any doubts or were you even more inspired that you could actually put into action, even if it was difficult? Um, I would
1: say that I've tried to keep the doubts away because I really try to look at sovereign as like a big art project instead of a company. Um, it's mostly just like an art project that keeps funding itself and funding like my lifestyle and that keeps it open to like anything i can do anything with Saab at any point and no one's really gonna think like oh that was weird he's never done that because i'm always doing stuff that i've never done and i think that's kind of one of the i feel blessed to have it be like that um so doubts I wouldn't say there's been doubts there's been times when I've got like like a creative block and I don't know what to do and I'm like shit I gotta make some money but I don't want to like just make a bunch of hoodies that I'm not inspired by or like I don't want to put some shit out that's like subpar just to make some money like I gotta wait until I'm inspired and then I'll like I'll go find something else whether it be like walking a train track or like Some working on a car or whatever to like take my time up until that creative block is done and then uh and then get back to work
0: (laughs) yeah so i mean that's a good transition so what is your creative process do you there's i mean everybody has different methods for it so what how do you tap into it?
1: um i don't know because luckily like where I'm at now it's all on my schedule like I make I'm my own boss I decide when I want to work when I want to play when like I decide everything which is honestly a blessing and a curse you got to have a lot of self-discipline for that and I don't have the greatest self-discipline like if my homies are like yo come to Mammoth I'm like shit okay when I'm (laughs) still like going broke I'm like I'll I'll always the rest of my money down there whatever but um yeah so I'll just uh I'll just get inspired I'm always inspired to sew I love using my hands and creating and honestly I could sew every day forever I get burnt out but I always get back into it um it's just about like doing something new to to mix it up I uh, I find that like if I'm getting burnt out on making mittens it's not that I got to stop sewing and do something else. I just got to start sewing something else. Like I just got to make a backpack or make a jacket or like, I love trying things new that I haven't done before like new techniques or just making a piece that is, I just, I love making the one of one shit. That's like, there's never going to be another one. There's never been one. It's just what it is and that's it. And like, it's not mass produced. And if someone buys it, they're the only person who's going to have it. So I usually just, if I'm feeling like a a mental creativity block, I'll just like, just whip out something weird. Just like change it up and get my mind going in a different direction. And apart from that, if I really don't want to sew, like say if I'm just like super, super burnt out, I'll just have to like take a break and get into one of my other fucking 50 hobbies like I'm into mountain biking cars trains graffiti like tons and tons of different stuff the list goes on and on and it's impossible to like manage it all but yeah I'll just uh I'll just dive into one of those things like I just got a new car and I've been working on that thing the last few days which it pisses me the fuck off but it'll be cool one day (laughs) and that that honestly helps me like getting pissed at my car makes me want to go sew because it's like oh sewing is so peaceful and nice and like everything I want to happen happens there's no rusty bolts that are gonna fucking make a two-hour job turn into a 10-hour job like that's the one nice thing about kind of getting away from the sewing machine is you realize how chill it is when you are on it yeah
0: yeah so you mentioned the one of one and I think uh from what I've seen that that's like a big part of the brand one of one for Mm -hmm. one of one individuals. Yeah. So has it been like that from the start? Did you ever, did you ever have any like mass production aspirations? Um, Well,
1: shit, there's kind of this, there's kind of like a tentative idea of like wanting to get some stuff, like a lot of stuff manufactured so people can always go on my site and buy more affordable stuff. Um, but that's just that's being held back because it's a lot of work to make a tech pack. And what I would probably do is like gloves, a unique hoodie, maybe some pants, and maybe a jacket. And then maybe eventually like some trunks and like I wanna I wanna have uh like one of every little aspect of everything that I make be manufactured so there's always an option to buy on my site maybe it's not going to be handmade by me in Mount Shasta, but it's still going to be an original sovereign design, the same materials used, like, you're going to be getting soft gloves, they might just not be made by me, um, so there is, like, this idea of that, but honestly, with the way I run shit, it's, like, it's easier for me to just do one of one, it's, like, I make it, I sell it, I'll make another if someone wants it, maybe, but Like you were saying with your, uh, how you don't want to have too much inventory that might not sell, might not sell. It's kind of, I'm in the same boat. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get 50 purple jackets made and sell three of them. Like, Mm -hmm. that would suck. So, why not just make one or two jackets and know that they're probably going to sell? And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't going to get jackets if they still wanted them. But at least I didn't just put in, hours and hours and hours of work into stuff that's not going to like be profitable for me when I could be doing other stuff with my time. And that's like, yeah, that's the biggest reason why I have stuck to one of ones other than just liking doing the unique stuff.
0: Yeah. I it seems like every company, like in uh, all these, you know, smaller boutique companies are doing the same thing. It seems like no one wants to keep inventory on hand. Even like ski companies are doing you know, super limited runs to guarantee that they sell out. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's just like a changing tide in business. I don't know what people used to do. I know that people yeah, used to I get catalogs the- sent to their house and you would order through a catalog or exactly. go to a
1: retail. Yeah, I think one of the only smaller companies that's really hold, like keeping inventory is Dan with Arsenic. Um, he keeps a pretty good in- inventory, I've heard but I don't know how many other companies arsenic does really good for him too. So he's probably got the funds to be able to afford that and not have to worry about selling everything out.
0: Yeah. On that note, do you ever, did you ever reach out to these established guys that were doing something similar to you saying, Hey, do you have a tip for this or I want, I know for sure that you've done collabs, but in terms, yeah. of, in terms of like mentor, mentorship, have you ever reached out to any of these guys?
1: Yeah, I would say Emmett with Vishnu and Vishnu Items has been the biggest mentor, sensei, whatever you want to call it to me. He's honestly had my back with everything. I don't even know why since the beginning. like Our relationship literally started with me sending him a message in 2017 being like, yo, I really, really like your skis. I'm just a broke ski bum do you think you could sell me a pair for like a little bit cheaper? Do you, I I think I asked for like some B grade pairs or something like that. And he ended up sending me, uh, I sent him a few hundred bucks and he sent me some mismatched pools and clouds. And I was so stoked. And ever since then, he and I have been uh, homies. And then once I started Sovereign, he, I, I was in Salt Lake and he just like, Became such a big homie through that. He gave me his uh, embroidery machine. He did a collab with me that got me a bunch of like eyes on sovereign. He did. He, he's just always had my back, and I feel immensely blessed for Emmett. And he would probably be like, "Shut the fuck up. You've done it all on your own." Because he loves saying that shit, but it wouldn't have been possible without him. It really wouldn't. Um, other than that, I haven't really talked to too many people too many other people i'm friends with a lot of uh, a lot of them like i actually just spent some time with jackson um from any tides he's not the one who sews the stuff but he's he's behind a lot of the business i was just hanging out with him uh my buddy lars does death look out in tahoe he makes pants and stuff and yeah i i love the little community of all of us who make this more boutique stuff like oh Depo with the uh, lizard stuff he's super rad too like i don't know super cool individuals that get into it and i feel blessed to be a part of this little like tight knit group of us
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i mean yeah there's definitely a lot of these companies springing up and uh i mean you just can't help but notice there's a million there's like a million of them it seems like now but only a few of them doing it really strongly Is this um, in terms of finances, is this like a viable self-sustaining system or do you have to pick up other work occasionally to uh, to just survive?
1: Yeah, no. So I, uh, I've been living just straight off sob since 2018 and it's been working pretty good. I mean, I, I definitely find other ways to make money and I flip cars and like, the financial thing isn't too much of a struggle, especially with solve, because it just like, it's as much work as I want to put in. I can see cash come from it. It's just hard to get myself to work sometimes when like, like I said, I'm my own boss. So if I want to go play, it's hard to like hold back. <laughs> um, and on top of that, I've, uh, I had some, like, shitty shit go down a few years ago. My dad ended up passing away um, unexpected, unexpectedly. Um, and I came into his house. Like, I I uh, inherited his home, my, the home I grew up in, in Shasta, actually. And so I've been able to rent out the downstairs of that for the last few years um, to a buddy. And he does some extracurricular activities that makes us some money as well so yeah it's it's my my only like job has been sovereign but
0: money comes in many different ways mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that about your dad yeah. uh, my condolences so is that that is what prompted you to leave utah um no
1: so i was actually in i was in utah I decided to go to Hood, um, in May of 20, wait, oh, I guess it was actually 2019. Yeah, so left Hood, or left Salt Lake, um, went to Hood, was at Hood for two weeks, having a fucking awesome time, like, super, super rad, ended up, uh, taking like a tab of acid one day and just having like a fucking awesome morning. It was super sick. We went skiing. Then we went back to road 39 and we're getting back from like a little hike. And I get a call from my stepmom, and I was high as shit, but I was like, you should answer this for some reason and answer. And she's like, Zach, I need to have you sit down. And she says, My dad fell off a cliff and he passed away. And so that kind of ended that hood trip. And I was, I ended up going back to Shasta, had a bunch of fucking shit to deal with. He didn't have a will. So I had to go through like probate with my house and like lawyers, which costed like fucking $13,000 and a bunch of other like stupid, stupid, stupid financial shit. Um, But got through it and now we're here and i have got like this awesome studio that used to be my dad's garage that was just like filled with shit and then i ended up living in here with my girlfriend for a second a few years ago right after it happened while i rented out my whole house and uh yeah it's just been like this huge evolution life's been crazy since then but i've learned a lot it's made (laughs) me grow up for sure
0: yeah, that is intense. I, so I got to ask because that's like a worst case scenario when you're tripping. Have you yeah. have you tripped since, or was that? Oh, yeah, pretty... I've tripped
1: since. Um, okay.
0: So it wasn't it wasn't so. No, you know, I like been... have you heard some stories about like people receiving bad news while in that state. And it is just you, like almost never recover from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely like sobered me the fuck up. It was, mm. Like once that happened, I was like, holy fuck. Life just changed a lot. I need to drive home right now. Which it's like it's like a six hour drive from Hood. So like it was the craziest drive, and no one could be in the car with me. My buddy actually came from my best friend, who was like honestly one of my dad's like godsons, pretty much. Like super close with his family. He's close with mine. He lives in Portland. So he ended up driving to Hood immediately. And then like caravanning back with me and my girlfriend we all had our own cars which kind of sucked because like six hours in the car right after that happened being alone was like heavy and still probably like after glowing was like the gnarliest fucking shit I can't even like ugh. like thinking back to that drive is fucked but yeah um I've tripped since then and had honestly gnarly gnarly way too out there experiences which have totally made me not that into taking substances anymore i mean i probably still will but i'd say in like apart from that being gnarly there's been other gnarly shit that i've just like felt on psychs that i just don't i don't really go there anymore
0: yeah and so i i think that you know (laughs) It's funny because we were talking about the creative process and I think a lot of people think that drugs are an, like an inherent part of the creative process. Like you have to get to that altered state and pull something from it to be creative. Do you think that's true at all or do you think that you could, you know, um, that, that you'd be inspired de- at, either way? Yeah, I think it
1: depends on the person. So I've definitely been in places where I'm like, oh, I need to take this so I feel something new and I can... Like, I get, like, the the aspect of, like, tapping into a new part of your brain and, like, being able to let this new creativity flow with the use of substances, but if I'm being honest, some of, like, my best ideas, like, the most high I've been, whatever, has, like, literally been out in nature, being alone, just in the middle of nowhere, or just walking a railroad track, or just, like, I don't know I get these natural highs sometimes that drugs can't even match it feels like so real and that's where I feel like I get I start feeling like creative visions flow in that state rather than like when I'm on shrooms or acid or something because it just becomes too much like maybe I'll have a really good idea for a second on shrooms and I'll be like oh I gotta write this down but then immediately after it's like I'm thinking about something a hundred miles away from that like so yeah I don't know I think if you can utilize maybe like if you're microdosing or something that's good and everybody's different like some people they take a substance and they make the craziest art ever like I've seen some artists that get high as shit and then they just they create this insane stuff. And then I see some people who look like they're high as shit or look like they should have been when they created something. And you're like, yo, what were you on when you made this? It's amazing. And they're like, oh, I, I drank my coffee that morning or whatever. And they're like, I, want, I went for a good run. And then I went and created this. And it's like, oh, wow, okay. You did that sober.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like, uh, I've had that exact same thinking with uh frank zappa Mm. the musician his his music just so out there you know it's insane and then you read his autobiography and he was like sober and he didn't take drugs and it was just like
1: yeah some people are just born a little bit out there for sure Yeah. yeah i think i honestly am one of those people like who knows it might be like a learning disability or what but like there is something about some like psyches or some brain chemistries that like you can straight up get high off anything and like get that creative, like burst through just like reading a book through drinking some like orange juice, like some people, especially living in Shasta, I meet the most sensitive people and not sensitive in like an emotional way, but like they'll They'll like feel energies, or they'll feel like, "Oh, the vibe is off in here," or, "I just took half of a magnesium pill and I'm like boosting right now," or like some crazy shit like that. You're like, "What the fuck? You're feeling that?"
0: Yeah, I don't know. Everybody's different. That's funny. So I mean, yeah. so a lot of your, uh, it seems like your company and your creative process is is solo. What are the collabs like for you working with another brain and working together to create something? How does, how does that process work for you? Um,
1: usually pretty good. I've never really had a collab go bad. Um, but I haven't done that many. I've done them with my friends where it'll be like a homie's staying at my house for a week and they can sew. So we do like a little collab on some hats or mitts or whatever. And uh, they're using my patterns and it's all, it's all kind of like my style. Um, I just let them go off on whatever their little art form is that's going to add to it. Um, but yeah, I would say like Emmett and I got some goggles in the works right now, which we haven't really talked about it too much, but I went on a street trip with him earlier this season and we were shooting around ideas and I think it really just takes some dialogue dialing in what we both want and like share, like trying to share a vision. Um, Yeah. I don't really have any real creative process to it though. I don't have any real creative process to anything. Honestly, (laughs) It's just this whole thing is just me winging it back to you saying it's mostly me. It really is mostly me but I do get a lot of help from homies when they come through my place or if they're driving through they're always trying to help and like for anyone listening to this who has help thank you so much because the help is like what makes it really work like last night I was making this backpack um and while I was making the backpack my friends were printing shirts for me so like I got 10 hoodies done while I was making this backpack and I didn't even have to touch them, which is just super rad. Like that type of shit helps so much. Um, and that's kind of where I want to see it go is not just my thing. Like everyone, so many people are like, Oh, you're the dude who does sovereign. It's all you, right? That's so cool. And I hate it. I hate, that it's all me. I don't want it to be like this individualistic, like, Oh, it's, zach pfeiffer and his art Ew. like i don't want it to be like that at all i want sob to be a crew that makes movies and has a crazy community behind it and like does rail jams and has like fuck parties and premieres and all this shit like i don't want it to just be me i want it to be like all the homies doing it together and like everyone feeding off of it and everyone getting paid and everyone like. Living their best lives off this thing that makes it so we don't have to work on anything but what we want to work on. Like one of my best buddies, Tristan Steen, he's a uh, at Sony Handycam online. One of my biggest dreams is to like give him a job filming, sob full time. Like he's a big filmer, he loves filming. That's all he wants to do. It's his like, and he's a fucking really good film, best filmer I know, and. Like, I just want to make it possible for him to make whatever 50 grand a year, whatever, just off filming videos for me. Like, I want to pay him good, better than any other filmers paid in the game. Like, I mean, maybe not Red Bull money, but like, I want to make it his job and I want to make other shit my homies jobs. I want to make pro models for people eventually that will get them paid. Like my buddy, Andrew Branch, we just started doing a... some gloves for him and like i haven't been able to pay him that much because we haven't sold that many pairs um but it still feels good to like pay a homie for all they got to do is ski and like their skiing is what sells the items which is sick um yeah that's like that's the biggest goal and that goes back to like the whole sovereign nation thing is it doesn't have to be like a physical place that is a sovereign nation but it could be like this almost like metaphysical idea of like this brand is allowing us all to live the lives we want to live apart from like society's rules and their fucking you got to do this you got to get a job go to college work 9 to 5 like I don't know. I think I can keep me and all my friends away from that. At least
0: that's the goal. (laughs) That's awesome. I think that is a, that was a good point to transfer over to viewer questions. Um, That was, yeah, that was, I think that was a good, good summary of your vision for the future. That was, that's awesome. So first viewer question. um, It's the one that we've been sticking with. It might have it's not I don't even know if I can conserve your question at this point because it's just like a recurring segment. What is your hot take in skiing? And if you want, you could do in fashion. Ooh. Fuck. Damn.
1: Well, honestly, I think having any sort of ego in skiing or thinking you're better than anyone else in this fucking little sport is so whack. Like some people oh my god i had to leave utah because of all the cool guys like if you think you're better than someone because you can fucking dub 12 or something like that and someone else can't it's so lame it's like even worse with the people that can like almost dub 12 and those that can dub 12 it's like it's so funny like if you think you're some hot shit because you strap on skis and you're good or you got like it's the same thing as instagram followers or you your parents have money or whatever like if you think you're better than anyone else on this planet because you do something you're so whack. like everybody's equal sure some people can do things that others can't but whoever you're comparing yourself to that can't do what you can do can do fucking 50 things better than you that you haven't even thought of like I don't know. I hate all that ego shit and just like thinking you're better than others. And there's a lot of that in skiing, yeah. I guess. In fashion too. I don't really have any hot takes for fashion though because I don't know anything about fashion. I just like it.
0: You just I know honestly skiing. feel like a minnow
1: you in like a pool of sharks with like everyone that's really into fashion. I'm like, yeah, I make this shit, and I try to do it all like. Out of my own brain, so no one can ever criticize what I'm doing. <laughs>
0: I don't know. That's funny. All right, good take. Well, something something we've definitely heard before about about the scene in Utah. Yeah. Man. I mean, do you have any do you have any moment that stands out that fits that that example?
1: Oh, dude. For some reason, pulling up there and riding bees. Like, don't get me wrong. Bees have like made me meet some of the coolest people ever and I'm never gonna not ride them hopefully until like Emmett just stops making them but when I pulled up on V's in 2018 or 17 or whatever in Utah and uh, like got to the top of the uh Mile my, oh my jumps or some shit it was just this crew of kids I know who they are now I'm not gonna say any names but they just like and they all followed me on the gram and like would message me and like be chill they all just like look at me don't say shit i'm like yo what's up guys how's it going just made it out here like this west coast kid with dreadlocks like trying to be chill no one was chill like i think they just saw my skis and they're like judging me which is stupid because it's like that was a i yeah i don't know it's just like that cool guy shit is so dumb You'll meet people at parties and they'll be cool because they're all fucked up and you'll like exchange names, talk for a few minutes or whatever. Then you see them on hill the next day and they're with some like other homies or some like rad skiers and they act like they don't know you. That shit is so whack and I'm sure so many kids can relate to it and I don't know. I hope I've never done that to a kid and if I have it's because I was stoned and I didn't know you were like talking to me or something. (laughs) <laughs> where I was, like, too high to, like, communicate, <laughs> which has definitely happened before. Like, sometimes I think there's a balance between, like, us skiers trying to cool guy each other and us skiers being, like, so fucking stoned that they we're just, like, socially awkward and, like, can't <laughs> fucking talk. <laughs> it's really been there. And it's, like, like get on the lift with someone who's, like, stoked on sob shit, but I had just faced a spliff and they're just trying to talk to me about it and i'm like thank you so much dude so rad and then there's just like a fucking huge gap of silence because i'm just in my head like what do i say what do i say i don't want to seem weird oh my god this guy knows
0: who i am fuck fuck, fuck. <laughs> <Just> like <anxiety laughs> all the way up <laughs> oh, that's funny dude all right next one uh This was kind of a, two people asked a pretty similar question. So N, what was your first item of clothing you made slash sold? And then Mac asks who owns your first piece? Ooh. Fuck. I think I probably
1: own the first piece potentially, or like my mom or something. I like to keep firsts, but Wait, what was the first question? What was my first piece? Yeah. Um I, That's hard. I used to like modify a bunch of thrifted stuff, but I would say my first sewing piece, like real piece that I sewed, I used to make these little bags that were about the size of a tree fort. Um and same they were pretty much just a modified tree fort and not to the build quality of tree forts whatsoever. But they were just like bags, like feisty bags that you would just like wear around your neck. Um, and that was with Lovely Co. And then with Sovereign, I would say I, uh, the first like fully sewn piece I made were these pants that were made out of like bed sheets. So super thin, like they've turned out like scrubs, but I thought for some reason that they would sew up well poor poor construction actually decent construction poor materials and poor thread they never like popped but I was always like scared to wear them so they just sit in a drawer at my house now um but yeah I I think that's about it I think I yeah I was just like making I was just making a those bags and I made those pants and then I started making the mittens, but everything apart from that was not fully constructed by me. It would be like, I would thrift blanks and then modify them, which I still actually do. And which is actually super, super fun. And I recommend to anyone trying to get into it is just buy your blanks at thrift stores. Cause then you're like supporting a uh, slow fashion. You're not like buying new stuff and bringing more waste into the world. And all of your items are going to be one of one because it's hard to find the, the same items at thrift stores.
0: Mm. Yeah. So speaking of one of one, yeah. Uh, this is kind of an offshoot of it, and it's not even a viewer question, but do you remember every piece you make? Like, if you see someone in the wild or online with the piece, do you? Does that bring you back to being in your studio? Like, oh yeah, I re- I remember making that. That you know that little um, detail was a pain in the ass.
1: Vaguely vaguely like it depends if it's pants or like a backpack or a jacket I'll totally remember but with the mitts like I've made so many mittens that I cannot remember all of them like people roll up on me and be like yo you made these and I'll be like oh shit that's a fire colorway yeah I did that (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah there's like there's that I like I do not remember it's over a thousand items that I've made so far, so there's like a lot. A lot yeah. Of shit there.
0: Yeah. All right, we got two more people asking very similar questions. Reed and Floster, favorite brands in skiing other than your own. Favorite
1: brands in skiing other than my own, um, Vishnu and Vishnu items. Uh, and this is in no in no, like list type style. This is just a random list. No one's at the top, no one's at the bottom. But probably Vishnu Items, uh Vishnu, um reevaluate, fucking lizard stuff, uh Death Look, joystick, like so many, and I'm I'm forgetting so many. Um Damn, are there any more off the top of my head that I can remember? I'm honestly like not, I'm not remembering them all off the top of my head, but the homies know I fucked with them. Like like literally every small business, any tie, it's like everything. I love everybody who does it. And like, I think my favorite thing about all the different brands is that we honestly all like help each other. Like I'll, I'll let people know if they ask questions, I'll like let them know where to buy fabric or thread or a machine or whatever, help people look for stuff. And like, if I ask questions to them, they'll help me out. Like I've never had someone not tell me a little piece of advice. Like no one's ever been like gatekeeping with their tech, which is super cool. Um, which low key, sometimes I feel like it, it hurts us all Sometimes, but in in a lot of ways, it just helps, and we all gotta evolve more. If that's how it's gonna be, um, but kind of what I'm talking about in that respect is everybody in skiing that makes pants for a little bit was using like ripstop nylon because one person started using it or figured out it was good, and then another person was like, "Ooh, I want to use that," and then I know I asked Riley. From reevaluate, I was like, dude, where'd you get this material? It's fire. He told me I got some. And then after that, I don't know. There's just been tons. That's what any tides uses. Like, I'm trying to get away from the ripstop nylon now because it's literally like five of us use the same fucking material. And like we just we pretty much make the same pants, just put different tags on them, and like it's a slightly different shape. Um but yeah, so. It's cool that we can all help each other out. It also makes us have to kind of be on our shit though, so we're not all doing the same stuff all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Kit Chat Bars takes it a different route. What is a clothing company you despise? <laughs> clothing company I despise. Or I mean, they also asked like, why, what, what made you want to make clothes and gear? So like, was there was there any point where you were just like uninspired by the state of clothes like fashion and skiing um i don't think i've been uninspired
1: i think i was just like a cheap ass and never wanted to like buy gibberish or buy like the expensive stuff which is funny because now i make expensive shit (laughs) i feel kind of bad about it sometimes but it's also what you got to do but i was just like not trying to buy the expensive stuff so i was like damn i should just make that um especially like that's how i started with the mitts i was like i want the craziest mitts but i don't want to buy the craziest mitts i want to make them just so they're free pretty much um but fuck damn, i don't like i don't like talking shit on any companies but probably like it's not even a i don't hate any ski companies Honestly, but like H&M or like Nike or, I mean, not even really Nike. Nike does some good stuff. I just don't like fast fashion. Like the shit that's just pumping out so much waste into the world and using shitty fucking materials and shitty dyes on their materials and yada, yada, yada. like I don't fuck with that shit. I'm just going to do the opposite of their question and I'm just going to say my favorite company ever in anything is probably Patagonia just because of Avon Chouinard's idea and like his whole background with it and like I don't know if you've read or heard um Let My People Go Surfing it's his book it's a, it's the guy it's like the founder of uh, Patagonia's book and he just goes into like his business model and what he does to make it like state like what he does to stay true to that and everything and he's like He's so hardcore with, like, the renewable resources and, like, keeping it all green that he'll fucking open up new factories in, like, whatever country it might be in. But he'll go there, make sure that down to the soil they're using is, like, organic and not going to fuck anything up. And if it does start fucking shit up, he makes it right. Like, he'll... If they accidentally use a dye that made someone get sick or whatever they're gonna get that person the help they need to like be okay again because he feels so bad that his company accidentally put someone in harm. and like like so yeah that's i don't know i really like the companies that care a lot and don't care about the money they care about making good products that are gonna last for people and i just think if you keep it real with your company it's gonna pay off for you like it did for a launch art, but it takes time too. like he took fucking 10 years before patagonia really got established and by established i mean like kind of in stores kind of having their stuff a little bit dialed like it was 10 years of pretty much i think like what i'm doing right now just like r&d and like yeah it's a company but it's like it's a very liquid company it can be whatever it wants there's no set in stone way of solved and I think that's why Patagonia also worked the way it did because he didn't just make fishing gear or just climbing gear or anything like that like sure he had seasons but he he kept making good gear for all the different aspects of what he was into or others were into and kind of grew as this entity instead of like just a climbing brand. and I think that's why Patagonia is so big now and why like frat boys want to wear like Patagonia puppies and shit now. Like people that are never going to climb a mountain love Patagonia because it's like this image of like being badass or whatever.
0: Cool. I'm going to get that book. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's also on audiobooks. Even um, better. Yeah, that's <laughs> how I listen to it. My buddy Joe Bear putting on to it. Yeah, JG ski favorite trick that feeds your soul lately this season. Shout out Yori. Um,
1: Shit, gnarly bio-sevs or like misty fives off like tiny jumps or just a good switch to switch.
0: Yeah, Um, I like that. Switch lip to switch is the best trick ever. The most, like I loved doing my research on you and finding out that you were actually sick at skiing (laughs) (laughs) because it was like, oh, this dude's like actually doing something and skiing and he's gnarly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't mean to gas you up too much and you, you're going to play it humble, but dude, it's awesome. Like, I think, it, I think it's super sick. I think the reason I'm thinking that is because I went to i uh, I'm telling like, I went to Killington yesterday and, oh, yeah. uh, and like the vast majority of skiers, yeah. including myself to a certain degree are just bad, you know, like a lot of people can't do much on skis. So when you see somebody that's, you know, not not known for being a pro and being really good is like it's known for something else, and you find out that they that they're also very good at skiing. Sure. So it's always it's always a really pleasant surprise. Well, that's fire. I'm glad I'm glad to know you think <laughs> so. Loch Ness Monster. He had the two parter. What's your favorite thing to make, and how do you get sponsored? And how do you get sponsored? Okay. And that's also do you even sponsor people?
1: Okay, okay, get sponsored by me. Yeah, yeah. Okay um i would my favorite thing to make
0: honestly i love
1: making backpacks right now backpacks and jackets are probably my favorites um the backpack is just super fucking rad because it's like they can be as tech or as simple as you want and it's pretty simple like people look at a backpack and they're like oh i could never but it's more simple than most shit i make um and then jackets, I just I just started making jackets, so that's why I like those. I think because they're pretty fun and it's like kind of some new tech and I'm messing with like different patterns and stuff. Um, and then okay, how do you get sponsored? Um, honestly, the only people I really sponsor right now are my homies or like I've got some homies out in Europe that. I send some gear to. Um, But it's really because like they just ended up I actually I actually sold or sent some pants to Kai Mahler. He showed some interest in some gear. So I sent some pants to him. They ended up being too big for him. And then he gave them to this homie Nicola Bollinger. Um, And so he was rocking those for a while. And then I ended up just like sending him some other stuff, I think. And then and yeah, there's a few people that I hook up. I think that if you wanted to be sponsored by Sov, shoot me and edit, but don't expect much because it is like a one man army pretty much right now. Like everything's one of one. It's more like, I think you should want to wear Sov because you want to like wear something one of one and unique instead of wanting to wear Sov to be sponsored. Um, because that's what it is. It's like the gear that I make is not like, let's say, wear leathers. Also, back to a company that I don't like, probably wear leathers. (laughs) Um, now that I'm thinking about it, but like them, they can just like manufacture fucking 500 sets of gloves and give 300 people gloves and get all this content and act like they're like this company that's killing it. And I'm sure they are killing it, but it's kind of fabricated when you send out more than half of your inventory potentially to like riders and basically just give it all away for free and say like, Oh, this is a, uh, this is good product. They actually want to rep this pretty much like when it's just free shit, like I'd wear free shit, but it doesn't matter if it's nice or not. And most of that stuff, like dyes your hands blue <laughs> and like, is kind of weird, but um yeah i don't know sob doesn't really sponsor unless you're like really my homie and i really fuck with you skiing and i can even fuck with you skiing and not be in a place to sponsor because like i said it's all it's pretty much a one-man army especially with like the gloves and the pants and the jackets like if you want some goggles or like a hat like the manufactured stuff i have hit me up and i could probably send you stuff if you want to rep but the stuff that i sew i try and make a little cash off of just because it is like time and effort
0: yeah yeah definitely and last question rolf advice for aspiring clothing creators um
1: nice i'd say just do it nike (laughs) um yeah i well in all seriousness just doing it really is like the biggest thing is just getting started so many people talk about what they want to do and have all these big ideas and they say like, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this. But then you never see them do it. And you're like, what happened to those ideas? Like, think, like you hear a homie talking about something and then two, three years goes by. And you're like, dude, if you started that when you were first talking about it, you'd be, you'd be making money. You'd have a following. You'd have like support, like all this shit. You just got to start. None of that stuff is going to come until you start. And... I think that's the biggest thing for people is they want um, they want acceptance or approval before they even do anything. And you got to take that first leap before you get any of that shit. And like, maybe it's not going to work, but it probably will if you're like putting your heart into it and being real. And like, I don't know. Yeah, keeping it real. I think that's the biggest thing is like, people just got to, like I was saying, like, do it for the art and do it because you like making clothes and you're inspired by the clothes you're making instead of just like wanting to throw a logo you created on a t-shirt to say oh I'm a clothing creator or whatever and to like make a few bucks off your homies. like you got to do that shit because you want and people can see like I can see it when someone's just trying to make some money and when someone's like really into the stuff they're selling I can see it anyone else can see it like it's pretty easy to (laughs) see
0: honestly Yeah. I like that. I heard a piece of advice the other day. Um, If you're going to fail, fail now, you know, like if you're going to don't talk about something for five years and then
1: exactly. And
0: then, Oh, and then turns out you're not even good at it. So you're going to fail five years after hyping it up, just do it. And then if you suck at it, you'll fail now and then you can move on
1: or you'll be good at it. You know, exactly. And like, honestly, one of the biggest things that I've found in the last few years is like the literally that like yeah fail now like I used to think like when I was 18 or so straight out of high school I honestly thought oh I want to start a company when I'm like 30 I want to ski bum it for the next 10 12 years just go experience life and like go out and do all this random shit and just be a bum like live broke as fuck that was my goal before my dad passed i just wanted to be a skier like literally growing up my whole fucking life all i ever thought was i'm going to be a skier never ever thought i was going to go to college nothing like that and not because like my dad couldn't send me to college or whatever but just because like that's not me like i didn't want to do it and i knew i didn't want to do it and i didn't know how it was all going to work out and now that i'm 22 and i'm like making it all work i'm like oh okay that's why i never thought i was going to go to college because i was literally never going go to college and maybe maybe i'll take classes eventually i'm not saying college is bad but yeah i think it's just about starting getting getting the ball rolling and like seeing if it's something that's going to work or if it's something you got to tweak um because fuck if i would have started solve when i was 30 i bet it wouldn't work at all i'd be a crusty old dude who's like trying to jump into the ski market that's like not gonna happen. But instead I was, I guess, smart and started it at 18 or 19. And uh now I'm here and I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but it like works out. So I'm like, okay, well now I've got this thing that works and I'm blessed that I started it that early because now I've got like I'm like a whole 10 years ahead of what I was thinking I was going to be doing. Yeah. It's also that Yvon Chouinard ap- approach is like the first 10 years of his business was just like trying out a bunch of different shit, being fluid with everything, like keeping, keeping the doors open to like a ton of different options. And then he eventually like dialed it in and figured out what he wanted to do and started making real money for the company. But it wasn't this like, oh, I'm going to do this and this is exactly how it's going to be. And... Every, everyone can just, like, fucking deal with it. It's like, they started, they were like, okay, what does everyone want? Like, I don't know, like, <laughs> what's going to work for everybody? How can we make these, like, crampons or ice axes or whatever in a way that, like, you guys want? Like, I'm not going to make a shit ton this year because I know you guys are going to want something different next year. So here, you, you really rad climbers. You take this gear out, bring it back, and next year we'll tweak it but you can still rep this as Patagonia. We're just not going to like sell it to a ton of people. And I think that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is just keep it slow and like slow and steady wins the race. I don't know. I'm not trying to be anything that I'm not. <laughs>
0: yeah. Cool. Zach, thank you for coming on today. You want to plug anything before you uh, get out of here? Um, I just want to say thank you to like,
1: everybody that supports SOV because it's honestly huge like you guys make my life so good and like all the support makes me so happy and like makes my life worth living because there's a lot of times that i'm like oh shit doesn't matter i just want to fucking go be a bum and ride trains but then like someone will hit me up and be like dude i love this jacket or i love these pants or Whatever, and I'm like, damn, okay, I should keep doing that, but I can't throw it all away. So yeah, thank you to everybody that fucks with Sob. Like, it's like a big family. Like, honestly, if you fuck with Solve, I think of you as like the fam, and all my homies that have been uh, helping me out lately, like in Shasta. I just actually had my two two of my best buddies, Mason Fitzmaurice and Chris Luano They just cleaned out my whole fucking garage. I went down to Mammoth like a week ago and just got a call one afternoon from Chris. He's like, yo, check out what we did. And like, doesn't pan around my studio. They literally put in like 10 hours of work and like cleaned the whole thing up and made it dialed. So thank you boys. Chris is actually hungover sleeping on my couch in my house right now, but he'll probably hear this at some point. He's so yeah. And, uh, yeah, just big shout out all the homies. Emmett from Vishnu, especially somebody um, do what it is
0: without you. And yeah. Sick. <laughs> and, where, and where and where like, where can they find all your stuff?
1: Um, if you guys want to check out the stuff, sovereign69.com will get you to the website or just check it out on Instagram. Um, insta's like the main place where I post stuff like daily on the story or whatever. I want to get away from that. Eventually everything on the site would be rad, but yeah,
0: sovereign69.com, baby. <laughs> Sick. All right, thanks again.
1: Yeah. See ya.